Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News Travel Editor Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here with another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. This week, a look at some little-known airline rules dress codes, obesity, offensive bodily odor, and what else can get you thrown off a plane? With Chris Elliott of Elliott.org. Then Gary Leff, founder of ViewFromTheWing.com, on skip lagging and what got one young passenger detained at the airport, what it is, and what you need to know. And speaking of airports, we'll check in with Brett Smith, the CEO of Propeller Airports, and a look at one of the hidden gem airports of the U.S., Payne Field, near Seattle. First up, Christopher Elliott. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax. The way car buying should be. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Christopher Elliott, welcome, sir. Hello, Peter. How are you? Good. So, you know, I remember 
I'm old enough to remember that my parents would ne never let me get on a plane when I was 12 and 13 and 14, and then later on without dressing. I mean, I, I had to, mm -hmm. I, my parents, I had a jacket and tie on when I was 12 years old to travel. I mean, that's what you did. Now, um, times have changed. They certainly have, yeah. So I remember a time when, when people dressed up too, yeah. And now, I mean, obviously, it's a subjective matter. You know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. However, the airlines do reserve the right to uh, throw you off a plane if they think you are dressing in an offensive manner or sending a message that's obscene. Or, let's not forget, offensive bodily odor. Uh, and that's all in the contract of carriage, but the question is, who's making the rules, right? Yeah, right. Well, most people do not know that airlines have these rules. They're policies, but they're also, as you point out, in the contract of carriage, it's a legal agreement between you and the airline that no one ever reads. And, uh, and, and during the summer, because of the warm weather, we tend to see a lot of these incidents where someone will get on a plane with like barely nothing on and the flight attendant will tell that person to cover up and then they'll do a TikTok video and it'll go viral and everyone will be all outraged. On so, the, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so here we are, you know, uh, my column, which ran in USA Today and, and you know, was also syndicated. Um, basically said, maybe having a dress code is not such a bad thing. And the reason, one of the reasons why was that I talked to some psychologists and they said people who dress up don't really act up. And that's the other issue that we're having uh, this summer is that we're, we're seeing a lot more of these uh, incidents where people are lashing out and, uh, you know, people are stuck in a, a pressurized cabin and they're not happy about it. And so they're having fights and so forth. And I thought, you know, when, in talking to these psychologists, they, they said if people did dress up, show a little self-respect, that maybe they wouldn't be lashing out at each other, which is an interesting idea. You know, you, you bring up a very interesting point that when you dress up, you you do tend to behave more. I, I mean, that's just, mm -hmm. I don't know. I, it goes back to uh, when I was dressed up, when my parents used to dress me, you, know, you were on your best behavior. Right, I mean that you that came. It was part and parcel with what you were wearing. That's absolutely correct. There have actually been studies done that show when people dress the part, they tend to act the part. So if you're if you have a suit and tie on, that you will you will be a gentleman. And uh, although that hasn't been done, there hasn't been a study done on airline passengers, but this was a workplace study that was done. But it, it you know I I think that it it's fair to assume that that applies also to uh, airline passengers. I talked to a pilot who said, you know, I, I get to see the people who are doing these terrible things and they're not dressed up. They're, you know, wearing cutoffs and uh, shirts with offensive slogans. And those are the people who are dragged off the plane in handcuffs. So I, I imagine an upcoming airline PA announcement would be something like, well, the passenger in 14B dressed like a jerk. Please identify himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As if nobody else you know, has noticed, you know. I Okay, well, my, my conclusion in, in my story was that maybe the airlines could be providing some guidance. I don't think that there ever will be a dress code, 
there never really was a dress code, but I don't think there ever will be. But at, at least, you know, tell people what is appropriate and what isn't. And Southwest Airlines actually does this. It doesn't do it for passengers. It does it for people who are flying on passes. So these are airline employees and their dependents. Yeah, they do says, have a dress code. You know, Absolutely. They, they do have a dress code, yeah. And especially in, now if memory serves, I want to say some of the international carriers, if you're flying in first class, you're expected to wear a suit and tie if you're a guy or a nice dress if you're a woman. Uh, and uh, if you don't, they will bump you down to economy class. Well, you know what I found interesting, it's an aside and it's somewhat tangential to this, Japan Airlines now is offering as a service, I don't know if you saw this, Chris, that they'll, oh, yeah. they'll rent you clothing. I did see that. <laughs> well, I, th- I, I think it's fascinating. I saw that and I thought, well, you know, people tend to take too much with them. So if you can rent them clothes while they're on the ground, that, that might make some sense for people who are overpacking. Exactly. All right. So we're hoping for a dress code. Uh, but then again, we haven't dealt with weight. And we haven't dealt with offensive bodily odor. Um, oh, wait. Oh, oh wait, Peter. Uh, this weekend, I have a column on weight. And it's going to be the ultimate flamethrower column. So <laughs> you'll have to have me on next week. We'll talk about weight. We will. How about that? Um, that's okay. gonna, that's going to be fun. Um, but, you know, it's interesting. when we, uh, You know, people say to me, well, I'm sitting in the seat. You know, I'm in a window seat or an aisle seat or I'm in the dreaded middle seat and the, and the woman or the man next to me stinks to high heaven. What rights do I have? And my answer has always been, are you on the ground or are you in the air? Because if you're on the ground, you can go report it to the flight attendant and then it's up to them if they want to like delay the flight and throw that person off. Um, once you're in the air, mm-hmm. uh, your options just diminished exponentially, right? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Well, I mean, normally they would, uh, they, they could do one of two things. They, they could ask the person with an offensive body odor to uh, get cleaned up or, or leave or take the next flight. Or you could, too. That's, I've seen that happen before. Yeah, then, um, then the fight breaks out. Yeah, but, but you know what, though? I, I, think, I think actually this is a flight attendant thing. They've got enough on their minds already, but they, they're supposed to be screening passengers for things like offensive body odor, and uh, if they don't look like they're with it, like they're inebriated, they're supposed to be stopping them and saying, hey, you know, you look too drunk to be flying today. So, you know, maybe better training, but certainly if you're stuck next to someone and you don't think you can handle sitting next to them for the duration of the flight because of the odor, uh, the sooner you say something, the better. So, okay, what we have to do now is install smellometers at Jetways. <laughs> and boy you will alarm that one everybody goes running forget forget weapons forget terrorism this guy just stinks oh my god oh boy and you're, of course, you're giving me these these great ideas for columns thank you <laughs> <laughs> i got into into somewhat trouble many many years ago with 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 american airlines because i talked about something called back-to-back tickets and American tried to get me fired, actually, from the Today Show, claiming I was giving people advice that was illegal. And I argued that, no, I was not. And in fact, what, what, what back-to-back ticketing was, you may remember the days, Christopher, they tried to basically beat up on business class travelers, saying that you could only get a discounted flight if you booked a week in advance or two weeks in advance and stayed over at least one Saturday night. And, mm-hmm. that's, and that's when you got the discount. Well, 
a lot of smart travelers, I'll put myself in that category for the sake of this discussion, figured out a way that you would make, okay, so that ticket might be, um, you know, $600 as a discount. Uh, but if you, if you had to leave on a Monday and come back on a Thursday, it was like $1,000. So what do we do? We made one reservation from Los Angeles to New York, coming back a week later, staying over a Saturday night, but we were leaving on that Monday. And then we made a second reservation from New York to Los Angeles on Thursday of the same week, coming back a week later, always staying over that Saturday night. And for less than the cost of one ticket, we got two round-trip tickets and double the mileage. Well, as you can imagine, American had a baby over this, and I was asked to go meet with all the executives in Dallas. I'll never forget this. And I walked in, and I walked into a room of three attorneys and executives, and they're all waving copies of my reservations, and they said, if we find out you do this again, we're going to pull you from the plane and charge you full fare. And I said, wait a second. If I go to the movies, and I don't like the movie midway, and I leave the movie theater, do the movie police arrest me? If I buy a six-pack of Coke, and I only drink three of the bottles, does the Coca-Cola police come and arrest me? No. I'm flying on the dates and times specified on the ticket. I'm flying as myself with proper ID, and I paid for the tickets. They said, okay, if we find out you're doing it again, we're going to pull you off the plane. I said, if you find out if I'm doing it again, here are the next five flights I'm taking. I'm going to give you the dates and the numbers. I'll have my camera crew there, and I'll see in court. Guess what happened? Nothing. But that was back-to-back ticketing. But there's something else going on now, right? It's called skip lagging. And that's something called Mm -hmm. the old hidden city ticket. Uh, Let's say I want to go from L.A. to Dallas, and it's a $600 ticket, but a flight from L.A. to Austin is $300, but the plane stops in Dallas. In the old days, you'd buy the Austin ticket and just get off the plane in Dallas, save $300. Well, not so easy anymore, right, Chris? No, actually not. It's interesting because uh, the the we were talking in the last segment about the contract of carriage and how no one reads it. And essentially, the contract of carriage is something that you agree to. It's called an adhesion contract. And you agree to it whether you read it or not, whether you sign it or not. And that contract says that you're going to use the ticket as the airline wants you to use it and not as you want to use it. But where the airlines are wrong is they say it's illegal. It's not illegal. There's no law against it. It's just against their policy, and it's against the agreement that you agreed to, which you didn't even realize you agreed to. So this is just (laughs) crazy, crazy airline logic that we're dealing with here. Although, Chris, uh, I was just going to say, a back-to-back ticket, is I have no problem with it. But a hidden city ticket or skip lagging, there is a problem because you did not complete the actual journey that you paid for. And a lot of people yeah. think they can get away with it by just buying a one-way ticket and not checking a bag, and, and they've been able to get away with it, but that really does violate the contract, doesn't it? it well, it, it does. Uh, I mean, the, the airlines would argue, and I'm not going to defend the airlines here, because they have, they have lawyers, as you, as you noted, they have very well-paid lawyers, and uh, they would argue that all of these things, these tricks, these hacks, they call them travel hacks, are illegal and that they are well within their rights to, you know, if they track you down to uh, pull you off the plane and to charge you or your travel agent, you know, we haven't even talked about travel agents and the debit memos that they get when they do this kind of thing, um, where they basically are responsible for the fare difference, which is just, you know, crazy also. But, you know, I mean, we're, uh, 
these are uh, tactics that are being used this summer in part because airfares are so high and people are looking for ways to save money. Um, And the the skip lag one uh, is something where, you know, people are using that tactic, getting off the plane, not fulfilling the, you know, not applying the entire route. And, and uh, when I wrote this story, interestingly enough, I heard from an airline insider who said, in the past, you know, we haven't really had the software to track people who did this, but we do now, and we're rolling it out very slowly. You know, we don't want to do it overnight. We would just, we're just going to do it very slowly, but uh, we, we know when you do it. And even if you're not using your frequent flyer number, because one of the pieces of advice that we always give people is don't give them your frequent flyer number because they can track you. They're tracking you in other ways. For example, your name, your, your birthday, they know who you are. So if you are skip lagging, if you're using this, they will find you. And the, ne- and the next time you try to buy a ticket, they either will stop you from buying a ticket or worse, will stop you from boarding the flight. My thanks to Christopher. Ever hear of skip lagging? In the old days, it was a hack called the Hidden City Ticket. So how does it work? Is it legal? Gary Left from ViewFromTheWing.com has the details on this questionable ticketing practice. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Gary Luff, welcome back, Gary. Thank you, as always. You know, I, I, I thought of you the other day when I saw a story that had so many things wrong with it. <laughs> about the irate business class passenger on United Airlines who threw such a hissy fit because the passenger didn't receive their first meal preference choice on a flight to Amsterdam, that the plane had to divert and throw them off the plane. And what was wrong with that story for me, Gary, was first of all, I usually want to have a hissy fit if they're serving airline food. I mean, airline food to me is an oxymoron. You're really going to go to the mat when you don't get your choice of bad or worse? I mean, <laughs> what, yeah. what happened? It, 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 I mean, it's the old saying, this food is awful and the portions are so small, right? It is, at the same, you certainly understand somebody buying a business class ticket 
from Houston to Amsterdam and then getting the sense that they are a second class passenger, not getting the the thing that they were offered uh, because it's been given to someone else. That can be mildly annoying. Airlines are not going to cater one of every option for every passenger. They're working on some averages and bets about what people are going to eat. And, you know, often you're able to uh, pre-reserve your meal uh, to make sure that you have your first choice. But in this case, uh, you know, that didn't happen. And the passenger in 11G, who was, um, I'm told, uh, had been uh, throwing back a few cocktails. Really? Uh, I'm although, surprised. You know, in all likelihood, right? In all likelihood, not just on the plane, because by the time there, this happened, um, they wouldn't have had enough time on the plane to have too many. They likely you know, had some of those in the airport uh, before the plane took off. Um, and so maybe their judgment wasn't the best, but they uh, went berserk enough that the that the captain decided not just to divert the aircraft, but to do that, they had to circle and dump fuel oh in order to offload this passenger right in uh, in Chicago before continue before you know staying being on the ground for a few hours and taking back off for uh, for Amsterdam. You see, this brings up. I have a very simple solution to these problems. No, I'm not going to improve airline food. I don't think that's possible. What I can suggest is, you mentioned the possibility of alcohol here, we got to institute the NFL fourth quarter rule on alcohol sales at games. Just do it at the airport and make a rule that no retail establishment at an airport can serve you, me, or anybody else within 45 minutes of the time stamped on our boarding pass as the boarding time for the flight. It's really that simple. And we'd eliminate a lot of these problems because these people are actually getting on the plane already tanked. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's uh, it's, it's not even just you know drinking in the airport restaurant because there are a lot of airports where you can get alcohol to go. But of course, where are you going to take it? Right onto the plane. Uh, and people were certainly doing that during the pandemic when airlines weren't serving alcohol on board. Of course, I have to think that if somebody were uh, the kind of person who's going to have a meltdown from drinking too much and, and is that passionate about the alcohol, that they're you know going to be willing to uh, buy themselves a refundable ticket for later in the day, uh, if only to show uh, the, the flash for you know uh, for credentials to get that uh, to get that drink in the airport. So you know people are going to find a way. Oh, amazing. Speaking of finding a way. The next story I want to talk to you about is one that we've been covering and you've been covering for at least two decades. And there are two different kinds of uh, ticket scams, or I should say hacks, one of which clearly violates an airline contract and one of which doesn't. The one which does is called the hidden city ticket. And that is, let's say I want to go from L.A. to Dallas and the fare is 300 bucks, but the L.A. flight to Austin, which stops in Dallas, is 150 and then what you do is you just get off the plane in Dallas and forget about the Austin flight. Well, that never really worked because the airlines figured out a way to know that you never completed your original trip to Austin. So when you get to go back on the plane in Dallas to come home, they basically deny you boarding and charge you a full fare. I get that. You did not fly the way the ticket was written. But then there's another kind of a ticket, and that's called the back-to-back ticket. And on this one, it doesn't violate anything. In the old days, and you remember the old days, Gary, uh, you know, you could only get a discount if you stayed over a Saturday night. So I would, if I had to go from LA to New York on a Monday and come back on a Friday, even if I booked two weeks in advance, I never got the discount. 
So what did I do? I booked on that Monday, coming back two weeks later. Then I booked a second flight from New York to L.A., leaving on that Friday and coming back two weeks later. And both tickets were less than the first in total. And so for less money than I was going to be spending for one ticket, I got two round trips and double the mileage. And the airlines tried to stop me from doing it. And I kept on saying, excuse me a second. I'm flying on the dates and flights listed. I'm flying under my own name. I bought the ticket. And they said to me, well, if we find out you're doing this again, we're going to throw you off the plane. I said, if you find out, here are the next five flights I'm taking. I'll also have a camera crew there. Guess what? It never had a problem after that. But the point is, people are still having problems trying to fly that way, right? That's right. In fact, there's a story recently about a teenager that was flying out of Gainesville, Florida on American Airlines. And what his parents say happened is he was questioned at check-in. He was flying on his own. And uh, the agent saw that he was connecting in Charlotte on the way to New York, but had a, Char- a uh, North Carolina driver's license. And it seemed like maybe they'd be getting off in Charlotte. It's a one-way ticket, so they're not worried about having the rest of their itinerary canceled. As long as you're not checking your badge, you're probably going to be okay. Um, you know, there's other risks involved. You might have to gate check a bag if a, the overhead bins are full, and then that's going to go to your final destination, not where on the ticket, not where you're actually getting off the plane. But um, the the agent there thought that maybe they were doing a, a throwaway, you know, one of these hidden city tickets, and they brought this uh, teenager into a back room, and the teenager confessed. They canceled the ticket, banned the teen for three years from uh, travel on American Airlines, uh, and made them buy a new ticket just to Charlotte, which, of course, was more expensive. Um, so, you know, this became uh, pretty widespread as a story because you know, it was a teen who didn't really know what they were doing. The parents booked the ticket, and they say, look, we didn't know this was wrong. Yeah, I don't know, but you know, fundamentally, the airlines see something very different than uh, the passengers do. Uh, the passenger sees, I'm buying a flight from Gainesville to Charlotte and from Charlotte to New York, and whose business is it if I only use the first thing that I bought and not the second thing? But the airline views it as a fundamentally different product. A ticket from Gainesville to New York is different than a ticket from Gainesville to Charlotte. One is more expensive than the other is less, and you're cheating them out of revenue if you're buying the less expensive one and using it to do the more expensive thing. Of course. Um, And so there's a fundamentally different view. Of course, the argument I would like to make, and you're going to laugh at me, is I, I do the movie theater argument. I buy tickets for the movie theater. Halfway through in the movie, I go, this movie sucks. And I leave the theater. Do the movie police arrest me? <laughs> well, you, you're, what the movie theater doesn't like is when you buy a ticket for one show and sneak into the other theater. <laughs> uh, and that's how the airline, you know, I, 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 you know, the New York Times Ephesus said this was all right. It was a tactic that um, the late Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia uh, was in the news for having done. Uh, I'm not sure that there's anything morally wrong. It's not illegal. But you risk being banned by the airline. You risk having your frequent flyer account shut down. So, you know, certainly doing it with any regularity, probably not worthwhile. My thanks to Gary. I'm a big fan of alternate airports. Milwaukee instead of Chicago. Providence instead of Boston. And in the Pacific Northwest, there's Payne Field instead of Seattle SeaTac. Brett Smith knows a thing or two about the history of this very special airport. And yes... You can now fly out of there as well. Brett Smith, I, was, I should say before I introduce you, Brett, 
that in the interest of full, full disclosure and transparency, I was at the terminal today. Uh, we walked around. It looks like no other terminal I've ever seen. It actually looks like somebody's living room that they somehow were stupid enough to invite me in. And, uh, and it's, it, you have commercial airplane flights going out of there that nobody really knows about. Am I right? You're 100% right, and I'm happy to hear you say that because that is exactly what we, our goal is, is to make this into a hospitality, you know, civil experience. So let me give you the devil's advocate question. If I were to ask my audience this question, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'd know the answer, which is, do you get excited in the morning when you go to an airport? And I know my answer is, no, I don't get excited about going to an airport. I get excited about going through it to get out of it to get to where I want to go. I mean, that's really what it was supposed to be about. Today, at most airports, it's about a, a, a business model that's all about retail, and it's all about how long will it keep you at the airport. Um, and uh, you're going to be there anyway because the airlines publish schedules they can't keep, and the next thing you know, you're stuck in the rocking chair in Charlotte. Um, I finally figured out what the rocking chair is all about. <laughs> but I mean, there's got to be a middle ground, and I'm assuming that, you know, based on what I saw at your terminal today, that's the middle ground. There is a middle ground. I mean, if you go to a lot of privately run airports <clears throat> in Europe, you know, like Zurich, for example, it's the same type of experience. You know, it's much more personable. It's very clean and easy to navigate. And, you know, a lot of airports in America just unfortunately have become like bus stations. And you're the best privately run or maybe the only privately run domestic airport of your size. That is correct. We, and how we, did that start? Well, well let's first of all, let's talk about the history of Painfield, because my history of Painfield is when Seattle was fogged in, they divert to Painfield. And that's how you came up. With, and then when you got to Painfield, they would bus you somewhere. That right. was my experience, right? That, that was your experience. Um, you know, in 1936, this airport was, uh, was started under Roosevelt's WPA program. And it was meant to be one of 10 super airports in the United States to connect the country. Well, as they were finishing the airport, World War II broke out, and the Army Air Corps came in and said, we, we need this airport to support you know, military operations in the Pacific theater, uh, but we'll give it back to you after the war ends. Well, war ended, and by 1947, you know, people they were saying they hadn't given, they it, hadn't back given it back yet, and so they decided to build SeaTac. And that's how that started. That's how it started. But then from 1947 till just a couple of years ago, what was Painfield used for? So the military kept using it until 1965, at which point Boeing said, you know, we need a place to build this iconic new airplane that's massive, massive and will take lots of people all over the world, and that was the 747. And so that started to get built here in 1965. Yep. Boy, do we miss that plane. Yeah, yeah, we certainly do. I was here for, it was a sad, it was a joyous but sad moment to see the final one take off. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm dating myself, but I'll give you the trivia question. Do you know who was the first person to christen that plane? Uh, that is, a, I do not. And it was in 1969, right before Pan Am started service. It was Pat Nixon, Richard Nixon's wife. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. And then, there they go, the first flight over to London. First flight. Yeah. Um, since then, other iconic planes. So if, if you've flown on a 777 in your life or a 747, it was made in Everett. Um, 787s were made here up until recently. They've moved that production now to South Carolina. South Carolina, um, but they've we've got a replacement. The 737 is now being built in Everett, which is a first. Um, they also make the 767 cargo uh, uh, airplane and the 767 military tanker for refueling. 
And so they're using that runway all the time. Yeah, it's it's busy. We all, we get it's fun. We get all kinds of interesting airplanes there. Um, at any given day, you'll see uh, the Antonov show up, the, the Ukrainian one, of course, not the Russian one. Right. Um, you'll see the uh, the Dreamlifter, which is that massive 747 that carries engine parts and so forth, um, and all kinds of military planes. You know, a couple of months ago, we had Air Force Two show up with General Milley, which was pretty cool. So you know, you never Listen, know. What if you're, you're an get. aviation geek like I know you are, and like I am. You could just stand there on the flight line all day and never leave. Pretty much. I, I'm a little bit ADHD, and so unfortunately my office overlooks the runway and I constantly get distracted. <laughs> all right, so you've got a privately run terminal. You've got a runway that's pretty long. Yep. You, you can't, you know, you can handle anything, right? You can, 9,000 feet. But you, are not, you now have commercial airline service out of Painfield. We do. It started in 2019, and in our first 50 weeks, we did a million passengers, which actually nobody thought we would do. But there was such a pent-up demand for a product that was north of downtown Seattle, just because the infrastructure here is so constrained. I mean, I-5, if there's an accident, it could take you two hours to get to SeaTac. So people who live north, and there's over a million and a half people that do, when they find out about Painfield, that's this is where they want to go. And, you know, with, with all due respect to the rocking chairs in Charlotte, you do have a pretty comfortable terminal. We do. We have two fireplaces. We always have music that's playing lowly in the background. You have s'mores? We we can make your... Sh- we'll do whatever <laughs> you need us to do. <laughs> and Alaska Airlines is flying out of there. Alaska's flying out, and we have interest from a couple other carriers, so we're looking forward to announcing that hopefully in the next uh, few months. You know, what's interesting to me is, you know, we hear about the pilot shortage, but we're also seeing at the same time so many of the major legacy carriers pulling out of service from all the secondary and tertiary cities. I've counted at last count over 49 cities that have either lost substantial service or in some cases they've lost all of it from United American and Delta. And a lot of people think it's the pilot shortage. In many cases, it's the planes. The planes they were flying in there, those 50-seat regional jets, were no longer economically viable. And they, they just couldn't support it. That is correct. 71% of, uh, over the past few years, 71% of airports have lost some level of service. And, and some of them quite, some of them have lost everything. Yeah, you know, like Toledo and a few other places. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm one of those people, uh, look, I live both on the East Coast and the West Coast. I'm a huge fan of Islip. You know, Islip is an underutilized airport. Absolutely. I mean, and, I mean, my, you know what? I, I have a parking spot at Islip. Not because it's me. Anybody can get it. Right, you pay fifty dollars for two years, and you have a parking spot, and and the parking spot is sixty feet from the, the terminal, and I just wish more airlines would fly from there. Yeah, I think Islip is a very interesting uh, proposition. You know, it's right in smack dab in the middle of Long Island. There's so many people that live there that don't have great options. I mean, you get stuck on four ninety five. You, you can be stuck for a while. Uh, Brett, if you're on 495, you're stuck on 495. <laughs> Absolutely. Why they call it the Long Island Expressway <laughs> is a mystery to most people who have a brain. That is true, but you do have train tracks that <clears throat> that run right uh, parallel to uh, MacArthur Airport. So I'd stay tuned on that one. I think there are big things to come out of that airport. And what are big things that are to come out of Payne Field? Now that you've got the terminal there, you got the gates... Yeah, I mean, we're, we're looking at expanding. There is there's about a $200 million expansion that's planned for this airport uh, where we'll add about 10 gates. Um, in the end of 2019, we had new investors come on. So the people who are the investors in this airport also own other airports like Gatwick and Edinburgh and Sydney International. So 
not that this is going to be another SeaTac, but it's going to be, you know, if you think about it in New York standards, this is like the LaGuardia of Seattle at some point. Well, I, w I really wish you wouldn't call it the LaGuardia of Seattle. With, with not intersecting runways. Okay, thank you. <laughs> because, you know, what they've done at LaGuardia now, they've done a bright new renovation, bright, gleaming, new, congested airport. Exactly. They, they, unfortunately, they should have probably spent a lot of money to try to build a, a runway on the water that, that parallels the current. Well, there's always getting rid of Rikers Island. That would have helped. That would probably help. I know. For a lot of other reasons, too. <laughs> uh, but the bottom line is, you don't really want to become too big, do you? We don't. I mean, there's a certain level that, uh, you know, the service level will go down. And, but we think that three, between the three and five million passenger a year mark, we can still maintain this level of service give a great product, and have happy travelers, and also make money. And right now you're flying 737s, not you, but Alaska Airlines is flying 737s in? Yeah, we have 73s, E-175s, and, and you know, occasionally an A320. So, and, and the runway, of course, could handle anything. Yeah, it could. It's really the terminal that would, is the limiting factor in its current state. Now, I want you to take off your propeller airports hat. I just put on your passenger hat. When you go to an airport, what's the one thing that makes you angry? The one thing that makes me angry when I go to an airport. The one uh, thing you dread. The one thing I dread is, you know, am I going to get there before baggage cutoff? Am I going to be able to get through that, that big line and make it to the gate on time? Um, I, as, a, as a former New Yorker, I tend to cut it very close. And so um, I've learned to no, stop. Nobody, listen, nobody's a former New Yorker. They're a New Yorker on temporary duty somewhere else. Fair enough. I like that better. Okay, good. But the point is, you don't want to stand in line. Exactly. I don't like standing in line. I don't like the ambiguity of how long it's going to take to get through there. So, you know, the one thing that we've done is we're, we communicate to people. We talk to them like they're people, not just a number, and we try to bring down that stress level. So and basically, I know we're talking as a passenger, but that's, that's what I like to see. So basically you're telling me that if I fly out of Payne Field on one of those commercial airline operations, I will not be considered self-loading cargo? You absolutely will not. I can't tell you how many times we've seen passengers show up late or with, you know, Two kids in tow and one in the arm, and we, we you know, I've, I personally will help them. Our staff will personally help them. If you get there in time, we will make sure you get to your flight. And maybe you'll have a cocktail before. Absolutely. We make really good Bloody Marys. <laughs> You'd be shocked, by the way, at how many people are, you know, headed to Vegas or Phoenix on a, a 7 a.m. flight and they're drinking. But um, I'm not surprised about that at all. <laughs> I've seen it too many times. My thanks to Brett to Gary Leff, and to Christopher Elliott. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, you know the drill. Just log on to petergreenberg.com. The Ion Travel Podcast is produced by Amanda Morris and Anthony Protis Chung. For more content from Peter Greenberg and the Ion Travel team, visit petergreenberg.com. Ion Travel is a production of CBS News Radio. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. 
They're really good at numbers. Auto Trader. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.